48K News. It's 11 o'clock. I'm Robert Kemp. Tonight's headlines. Hospital officials put into effect phase two of a contingency plan to keep beds free for a growing number of COVID patients. Two former political assistants are promoted to undersecretary in the government's latest round of political appointments. And a second former worker at a foster home in Prince Edward has been jailed for abusing children. Hospital officials have put into effect phase two of a contingency plan triggered to keep beds free for a growing number of COVID patients. With more admissions to public hospitals, the hospital authority has more than double the number of COVID beds from 1,200 to 2,500. Chief Manager at the authority is Larry Lee. The surface adjustment will be mainly on the non-emergency surface, namely the elective surgery. But however, another point I'd like to stress on that is phase two is not a discrete phase, which is a continuum. So we just um, mentioned that we enter, we enter the phase two, but we still try to keep our surface as much as possible. Authorities reported 4,090 new local cases today, 180 of them imported. Six more patients have died. Two former political assistants have been promoted to undersecretary in the government's latest round of political appointments. Damon Pang reports. One of the former assistants, Jeff C, steps up to be Deputy Education Chief, while Lillian Zhang is the new Undersecretary for Innovation, Technology and Industry. Businessman Clarence Leung, the son of Lechco President Andrew Leung, is named Undersecretary for Home and Youth Affairs. Undersecretary for Development Liu Chen San is taking up the equivalent role at the Transport and Logistics Bureau. Two senior civil servants become deputy bureau heads. Race Lin Lao will be Undersecretary at the Culture, Sports and Tourism Bureau. And Victor Tai is the new deputy housing chief. Libby Lee, the new Undersecretary for Health, used to be a strategy and planning director at the hospital authority. And a former assistant police commissioner, Michael Chuck, is named Undersecretary for Security. A second former worker at a foster home in Prince Edward has been jailed for abusing children. Lam Mei Po pleaded guilty to assaulting three victims at the children's residential home in December last year. In one case, she hit a girl on the chest who then fell on the floor and cried. The 56-year-old was sentenced to around seven months behind bars. She's one of 34 former workers at the childcare facility who have been charged with ill-treatment or negligence. The first defendant to plead guilty, Heng Wing Chan, was sentenced to four months in jail. The government says from Monday it will invite medical teams to visit nursing homes at least once a week to help vaccinate elderly and disabled residents against COVID. Officials hope to increase the inoculation rate of the second dose to over 90% next month, and hopefully by the end of September, 50% of care home residents will be triple jabbed. The scheme will run for six weeks, and there is a special allowance for companies providing additional manpower and transportation. Singapore has hanged a man convicted of drug trafficking, its fifth execution in the space of a few months. The BBC's Michael Bristow reports. The death penalty was carried out on Nazri bin Lajim after a last-ditch appeal failed. The 64-year-old spent some of his last few days with his family. They said he'd tried to cheer them up and release the final photographs of the convicted man. Singapore believes the death penalty deters drug crimes. Rights groups disagree and have condemned the latest hanging. The city-state resumed executions in March after a break of two years. Five people have now been executed. Dozens more were on death row. The German government has stepped in to rescue one of the country's biggest gas companies. 
Uniper had suffered financially from the rising cost of gas after Russia's attack on Ukraine. The government took a 30% stake, promising that customers would receive assistance with any increase in prices. The Chancellor, Olaf Scholz, outlined a number of government initiatives, switching briefly to English to make his point. You'll never walk alone. That we overcome the difficult times together, that we stick together, that is crucial. No one is left alone with their challenges and problems, not one single citizen, not even the companies in this country. Together we are strong enough to manage this. European Union has launched new legal proceedings against Britain for allegedly breaking the deal it struck when it left the bloc. Brexit agreement required Britain to place controls on goods travelling between the British mainland and Northern Ireland. Statement said the EU was forced to act after Britain failed to collect excise duty as required or comply with customs requirements. You're tuned to RTHK. The time is five minutes past eleven. Elderly Commission member Grace Lee has expressed concern about the ability of elderly people to comply with new anti-COVID requirements relating to care homes. She says getting them to take a PCR test before each visit may be asking too much of some of them. Maggie Ho with the story. The government has announced tougher testing requirements for care home staff and visitors in the fight against COVID-19. From next Wednesday, staff will have to take PCR tests once a week instead of every two weeks, in addition to daily rapid antigen tests. From August the 1st, visitors will have to take a PCR test and provide a negative result obtained within 48 hours of their planned visits. And from the 28th of next month, they'll be required to comply with the government's vaccine pass requirement. Speaking on an RTHK program, Grace Lee pointed out that many care home visitors are themselves not young such as those who go to visit their spouse. The elderly commission member and CEO of a care home says requiring them to take a PCR test before each visit may pose difficulty to some. They'll have to do PCR tests at community centres, and sometimes the results take more than 24 hours to come back, Ms Lee said. Previously, some of our staff don't get the results within 24 hours. So for some elderly people who don't know how to make online bookings, or those who don't know how to go about it, I believe it'll be difficult. As for staff who will undergo more frequent testing, she said some operators had hoped the government would send personnel to collect specimens directly from care home employees, but the administration has said it's not planning to do this. Instead, it will leave behind kits for staff to take their own specimens before returning to collect them all together. Ms Lee said while this is a convenient option, she's worried that the staff may make mistakes in collecting samples by themselves. Unison, a group focusing on racial equality, is calling on local universities to come up with a transparent standard to assess the performance of students who take Chinese language exams outside the local system. Many students from a non-Chinese-speaking background sit GCSE or A-level papers instead of the Diploma of Secondary Education. The group's executive director, John Che, explained to Violet Wong how this put them at a disadvantage when seeking a university place. When they receive examination results, I'm sure everyone would count the chance of getting into a university program. So what they usually do is to convert their scores into well, DSC scores. But if universities in Hong Kong fail to do that, that is, fail to disclose how they count the conversion, then I'm sure you know, non-Chinese-speaking students would be at a loss because they don't know what the final 
converted DSC scores would be. And of course, many universities are counting on a case-by-case consideration, which we don't know what that is. So it's so arbitrary that it's frightening. So as non-Chinese speaking students, what they would do is that to scale down the target. Perhaps they would look for a so-called better university, better program. But after knowing that, oh, I don't know how they're going to count me. So what they're going to do? Well, they're going to readjust and aim at a lower target. It's grossly unfair if university fail to disclose their admissions criteria, which are supposed to be open, transparent, and fair. Only two of the universities actually disclose their conversion mechanism. Could you tell us a, a bit more about the university's practices? Hong Kong Baptist University, as well as Hong Kong Polytechnic, they both would convert all grades in the alternate Chinese into DSE Level Three. I'm not saying that it's good or not. I'm just saying at least these universities are offering something that you know, applicants should know. I'm saying that other universities should follow. China is bracing for the return of more heat waves in the next ten days from east to west, with some cities already issuing the highest level heat warning. Erin Tam reports. That's the sound of a zookeeper spraying a hippo with water to keep it cool in the Guangxi region. The mercury there has hit 35 degrees Celsius in recent days. Nanning Zoo staff have helped animals there beat the heat by feeding them fruits and giving them ice cubes. The National Meteorological Center has warned that the coming hot spell is expected to bring temperatures of over 40 degrees to more regions. In Zhejiang province, home to many factories and exporters, some cities have already issued red alerts, the highest in a three-tier warning system forecasting temperatures of at least 40 degrees. Meanwhile, the Ministry of Emergency Management has warned that the load on the national power grid could reach a new high this summer. The ministry added that parts of Fujian, Guangdong, Hunan, Jiangxi, and the city of Chongqing are also at risk of forest fires in the near term. As with much of the northern hemisphere, parts of China have seen record high temperatures this summer, and unusually heavy rainfall is making seasonal flooding worse. Climate change is considered a factor in both the warmer temperatures and heavier rainfall, as well as more frequent extreme weather. On Thursday, a tornado blew through a farming region in Jiangsu province, damaging homes, killing at least one person and injuring 25 others. Tornadoes are relatively rare in the country. The hot spell earlier this month has been described by Chinese weather watchers as widespread, prolonged, and extreme. U.S. Congressional Committee looking into the Capitol riots on January the 6th last year has heard that then-President Donald Trump sat in a dining room at the White House for more than three hours after being informed of the violence and did nothing to stop it. Instead, Mr. Trump watched the violence unfold on TV. The committee's vice chairwoman, Republican Liz Cheney, says he refused to do his presidential duty. As you will see today, Donald Trump's own White House counsel, his own White House staff, members of his own family, all implored him to immediately intervene to condemn the violence and instruct his supporters to stand down, leave the Capitol, and disperse. For multiple hours, he would not. Donald Trump would not get on the phone and order the military or law enforcement agencies to help. 
And for hours, Donald Trump chose not to answer the pleas from Congress, from his own party, and from all across our nation to do what his oath required. He refused to defend our nation and our Constitution. He refused to do what every American president must. U.S. President Joe Biden says he's doing great and keeping busy after he tested positive for COVID-19 yesterday. Hey, folks, guess you heard this morning I tested positive for COVID. But I've been double vaccinated, double boosted. Symptoms are mild. And uh, and I really appreciate your concerns. But I'm doing well. I'm getting a lot of work done. I'm going to continue to get it done. And in the meantime, thanks for your concern and keep the faith. It's going to be okay. President Xi Jinping sent a message to the US, to his U.S. counterpart expressing sympathy and wishing him a quick recovery. Earlier this week, Mr. Biden says the two leaders could be holding a fresh round of talks in the next 10 days. Sport and football, and here's the BBC's John Wilkinson. Robert Lewandowski finally got his way this week and completed his longed-for move to Barcelona. It's 50 million euros for Bayern Munich, yes, but how to replace his 344 goals? They have Sadio Mane in already, of course, and they've this week bolstered their defence with the 76 million euro signing of Matthias de Ligt. Chelsea and Manchester United hope they've tightened up defensively with two high-quality players coming to the Premier League. Centre-back Kalidou Koulibaly has a big reputation to live up to at Stamford Bridge. He's well up to it, though, I think. Whilst up to €67 million Euros for Lissandro Martinez will be worth it if he can show his Ajax form reunited with Eric Ten Hag at Old Trafford. United looked defensively quite shocking at times last season. Jesse Lingard has joined the Premier League newcomers Nottingham Forest, whilst Antonio Conte's reshaping of Tottenham has continued with a sixth acquisition, defender Jed Spence. All this whilst the Women's European Championship continues in England. It's already set new attendance records for the tournament. The hosts are now strong favourites for the title, having beaten Spain in the quarter-finals, though France against the Netherlands is an exciting prospect between two of the best women's teams around. And now the weather, clear overnight, the minimum temperature will be around 28 degrees, sunny and very hot during the day, with a maximum temperature around 36 degrees in the urban areas and a couple of degrees higher in the new territories, light to moderate southwesterly winds. The outlook, persistently very hot and fine for the rest of July. Temperatures can generally reach 35 degrees or above early next week. Temperatures currently 31 degrees, humidity 77%, and the very hot weather warning is in force. Reminder of our top stories tonight. Hospital officials put into effect phase two of a contingency plan to keep beds free for a growing number of COVID patients. Two former political assistants are promoted to undersecretary in the government's latest round of political appointments. And a second former worker at a foster home in Prince Edward has been jailed for abusing children. And that's the news from RTHK. Peter King, entertaining Hong Kong since 1985. Welcome back. Your dreams were your ticket out. Welcome back to that same that you laughed about Well the names have all changed since you hung around But those dreams have remained and they've turned around Who'd have thought they'd need ya? Who'd have thought they'd need ya? Back here where we need ya Back here where we need ya Yeah, we're teasing a lot Cause we got him on the spot 
Welcome back. Now, if you're not from the States, you might not be aware that there was actually a theme to a TV sitcom back in the 70s called Welcome Back Cotter. And I think, if I remember correctly, Gabe Kaplan was the name, starring as a school teacher in charge of a racially and ethnically diverse remedial class called the Sweat Hogs, at least according to Wikipedia. That was the story behind it. It ran from around 75 to 79. I don't know if it was based on... There was a British series called Please Sir with a similar sort of uh, synopsis to it. I don't think it was anything to do with that. I've never actually seen Welcome Back Cotter, by the way. I just read about it. And to our second hour this Friday night is me, Peter King. Okay. 